0: I want to go ahead and invite you guys to turn over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, because this morning we are going to finish up a six-month-long series through that book. And before we do that, while you're turning over to that uh, to that passage, uh, I want to add my welcome to Matt's welcome, especially those of you who are here for the first time. This is a time of the year where you know a lot of folks are moving to our neighborhood, a lot of folks are moving here for training at Vandy for one reason or another. And if that's you, we especially want to welcome you and. I want to echo what Matt said, we'd love to meet you after the service and love to know that you were here and reach out to you after today, so give us that chance if you would. Uh, And uh, I also want to tell you that you're catching us in in kind of a a season of transition between uh, the the study of God's Word that we've been uh, unpacking together since the beginning of this year and what's going to carry us from next week through the end of the year. Next week we start together a brand new teaching series on Sunday mornings. We're going to be spending six months together in the Psalms. And we're really excited about it. I especially, because thanks to the elders uh, who have preached uh, in my place the last uh, three weeks, I've had three weeks to really dig deep into the Psalms and to get ready and map out what's gonna be uh, our focus for the next six months. And I'm very excited about it. I hope you are too. Come next week for uh, an overview of what to expect and some good suggested resources that we'll have available for you over here on the table. If you want to, uh, to do some of your own study along with the series, uh, give you some good tips, I think, too, on, on how to read the Psalms yourself as we go through them one by one uh, starting next week. So be here for that. I also want to echo what Matt said for those of you who might not have been here during the announcement times earlier, that next weekend we have uh, our, our dear friends Nathan and Haley Novotny with us, and uh, they are, are back just for a brief uh, w- weekend with us. And it's a chance for us to hear how their first year abroad has gone and to to listen to what their challenges and, and opportunities have been and then to, to pray over them. So uh, don't want to miss next week. We're going to give a good chunk of our normal gathering to to an interview with them that we'll do up here to get you a good sense of of what their year's been like and then after that we're going to do a picnic with them over here at Dragon Park right behind the school uh, uh, brown bag everybody's welcome to come and it should be a good chance to connect with each other and to to hear from them now now to the business at hand for today though today we get to wrap up what has been a wonderful time together uh, throughout this first half of the year in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians What I want to do this morning is try to use the last few verses of the letter, the last sort of final greeting that he gives them as a a way to tie together the main themes that we've talked about over the last few months. It's a a conclusion that, that tries to put a point on a case that he's been making for what authentic Christianity really looks like. He'd written to some friends who lived in a city that he had visited not too long ago who belonged to a church that he had founded that after he'd moved on had been infiltrated by these teachers of a different version of Christianity who were, who were preaching a different Jesus and a different gospel than the, the true one, the only one that can do anyone any good. So Paul's been writing this letter to try to help them tell the difference between what's true and what's false. He's been trying to describe for them where authentic Christianity shows up this And this morning, in the last few verses of the letter, he points us to some things that that really do tie together all the arguments he 's made along the way um, at, at the top of the st- uh, of the series talked about one of the reasons that studying paul 's letters is helpful to us is that paul in, in these letters he 's doing the work of trying to help his friends and, and help us connect things that that are true about Jesus to the details of our lives. He's trying to help us bridge the gap that a lot of us feel between things that we know or have read or have heard about Jesus and the things we're facing when we wake up on Monday morning or Tuesday morning or whenever else. That there's oftentimes this detachment we feel from Jesus, this almost as if what he is and what he's promised is otherworldly, disconnected from the real world we're living in. We can treat him uh, one of the, a couple of the images used early on, we, we can treat Jesus more like a life insurance policy, for example, than a, a checking account. A life insurance policy is something you want to have, maybe. You want to you know, pay a premium for it and, and know that it's there, but you kind of file it and then most of us just forget about it. Kind of assume it, leave it there on the shelf for the time that we'll need it down the road at some point. Rather than treating Jesus like a checking account that you rely on every day, that's a daily presence in your life that has a huge effect on your decisions, right? What you do, what you decide to do depends on what's there in a way that your life insurance just just doesn't. I'll try this one out, the belief in Jesus, or who he is and what he did, what he offers me, what he asks of me. These kinds of beliefs are supposed to be self-involving. They, have, they involve who I am and, and what I choose to do and, to, and how I interact with the, the world around me. It should be like the belief that I have that it's hot outside this morning. I mean, against uh, all appearances here, I mean, I actually did choose to wear the jacket, but when I get home this afternoon and maybe cut my grass, I'm going to go out in shorts and a t-shirt because I have a belief that it's hot. That's a self-involving belief. It's going to affect me in the choices that I make. I have a different sort of belief in the temperature outside than the belief I have that the state bird of my home state of Alabama is the northern flicker that's otherwise known as the Yellowhammer. I, mean, I have that belief, that's in my head. It, it doesn't affect anything that I choose to do. I haven't even bought a picture to hang on the wall as a memento of my upbringing. I'm afraid that, that, that what we need, why we need these letters, what we need is some help turning our belief in Jesus more into, into a belief that's more like my belief that it's hot outside. It's going to affect my day than my belief that the state bird of Alabama is a yellowhammer. Paul's been doing that work, trying to help us bridge that gap. And what I want you to see this morning, in the few minutes that we have together, is that the main place Paul urges us to have these beliefs show up in practice, the main place that the real thing shows itself is in Community. Where authentic Christianity shows up is in the way we relate to each other. You want to know whether or not somebody's got the real thing. You want to pay attention to the lives they're living with their Christian community in the local church. This is where Paul ends. Christianity is not about a personal code. It isn't about some sort of self-realization. Christianity is not about personal status it's the kind of dependence on God that shows up in a kind of love for each other and if you want to see the real thing that's where you need to look so I want to wrap up our time together with this brief look back at what we've seen using what Paul says in the last several verses of chapter 13 I want to start by reading those verses then I'll say a bit more about where we're going to go If you would, please stand with me in honor of God's word while I read 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. This is God's word to us. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you greet one another with a holy kiss and all the saints greet you to grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this is God's word you can be seated we want our community here in our church to be an authentic one We want it to be a place where people who want to know what Jesus is like can know because of the way we treat one another. We want it to be a place where authentic Christianity shows up. So what kind of community would it need to be? What should we be working and praying for? That's how I want to end this series on 2 Corinthians. Based on what we've seen, what we've learned together from what Paul has said, what should we be aiming for in our effort and in our prayers in our church? What kind of quality of life should we want? I want to point you to three things, three things that come up in these last few verses and three things that we've seen many, many times already in the series as as we've worked our way through it verse by verse. Three things that will be true of communities where authentic Christianity shows up. Here's the first one. Authentic Christianity shows up in communities that are honest about weakness, this was Paul's first major theme. He gets to this right out of the gate in chapter 1. And he comes right back to it here at the end. I think it's built in to the first couple of commands he gives them here in his, in his wrap-up. Did you notice? He tells them, aim for restoration. And he tells them to comfort one another. Now, that's not a direct re- reference to weakness. He's not saying, be honest about weakness. But, but underneath those two commands, that's exactly what he's saying. Behind restoration, behind the call to restore one another, is an assumption that we're living openly with one another and seeing one another's sin. Otherwise, there's no no place for restoration, only in a place where we're paying attention to one another's lives and opening up our lives to others does restoration happen same thing with comfort only in a place where, where we're honest about the fact that our lives aren't what they they ought to be what we want them to be that our lives experience brokenness every day only in a place where we're honest about our need for comfort does a, a call to comfort one another make sense or it, only in that place is it is it even possible what paul's pointing to is something the bible tells us Shows up in the life of every person who's ever lived. It shows up in the life of every one of us sitting here in this room this morning. The Bible describes what's wrong with us along two lines. They're always there in every person's life. Every person struggles with sin and every person struggles with sorrow. What's wrong with us can't be limited to, to just the things we do wrong. And it can't be limited to just the things that are done to us or that happen to us in the world that isn't what it should be. It's always both and for every person. We are not what we should be and the world is not what it should be. We're weighed down by what we've done and we're weighed down by what others have done to us. And nobody gets any better. Nobody sees their need for Jesus who isn't honest about weakness from sin and from sorrow. So, why Paul's talking about his own weakness, not just his sins, but all the things that he's struggling with, all the afflictions that he had in his life. All through this letter, he keeps coming back to it over and over and over again. He's modeling that honesty for them because he knows what's true of them. He knows that in their community, they're all posturing. They're all projecting images of strength. They're all measuring themselves against one another. And in a culture where that's true, in a community where people are competing no one's ever going to be honest about what's wrong with them and no one's ever going to have the grace that they need the humility that they need to actually restore someone else or to comfort them key mark of the real thing genuine authentic christianity is a community where we are honest with each other about our weaknesses not trying to protect in our images not being harsh toward or bothered by the weakness of others who are honest with us in other words, it's two ways, friends. This is, this is where we get real about how to respond to this series in 2 Corinthians. If, if we're gonna be the kind of community where authentic Christianity shows up, here's our target that Paul has set for us. If we're gonna have a community where we're honest about our sin and our sorrow, a community that aims for restoration and comforts one another, then we need to recognize that every one of us needs to be restored and comforted And every one of us is responsible to seek restoration and comfort for others. There is nobody who doesn't need to be open about sin and receive correction from those who love them. And there's nobody who doesn't need to be honest about sorrow. No one who merely gives care and gives care and gives care but never actually needs it. Early on, in chapter 1, the first, first section of this letter, Paul talks about the importance of comforting one another, and he talks about comfort as a community project. Back then in that early sermon, I remember using an image of the old-timey fire drill. I don't know why that worked for me. Maybe it didn't work for you, but you're about to get it again, whether it worked for you or not, because you know, this is a wrap-up, so I get to reuse my material. Uh, you know those old-timey fire drills? Like uh, like in the Old West, when all, the whole town was built out of wood, rapidly burning wood, uh, you know, some building would catch fire and they didn't have a fire department. What would they do? They'd all run to the well. At least this is what they do in the movies. They'd run to the well and they'd form this line. And then somebody would be dipping a bucket in the well and it would be handed to the next person. Who would hand it to the next person. Who would hand it to the next person and they'd throw it onto the fire. And I think of Paul's image here, a, a, a community that's always aiming for restoration and comfort It's kind of like one of those old-timey fire drills, and we're all just in the line. And that means we're receiving care from somebody else, but we're also responsible to pass it on to someone else. That's the way we all get cared for. We're constantly receiving and constantly passing on. Restoration for each other when our sin affects the community. And comfort for one another when our sorrow is inescapable. So how do you respond to this series? Well, first, here's, here's a good exercise for you. It's all, it all starts with honesty about weakness. No one gets to Jesus any other way. So so here's some questions for you to ask yourself. Are you honest about sin in your life? Honest with yourself? Willing to do the kind of self-examination that the Bible teaches us to do, but also honest with other people? Willing to open up even the sensitive areas of your life to 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 make them visible to other people who can speak into them? Are you seeking restoration of others in their weakness? Maybe especially when their flaws affect you. When they've hurt you or mistreated you or neglected you is your instinct and your ambition to bring healing and restoration even if it's difficult rather than to move on or give up. How about on sorrow and comfort? Are you willing to talk about the sorrow in your life or are you afraid of being a burden to other people? Are you afraid that the fact that you're in sorrow might make you look weak and you don't want to be a person who needs help? Are you willing to, are you willing to have help given to you as well as giving it to others? As you're doing this exercise, I mean, take these questions. I would really encourage you to pick a friend in our church and to ask them these questions about you. To ask your friend, have you, have you experienced me as a person who's open about my sin, vulnerable in front of you with the things that I wish were different about me? Have you found me to be somebody who's willing to be honest about what's wrong in my life, to, to actually lean on the comfort that you can give me rather than trying to hunker down and do it myself? I mean, a lot of times we just don't see ourselves, do we? I mean, we don't see what others see about us. That's the gift of a community. And you can actually help us towards the community this letter is meant to encourage us to, to pursue by just having one-on-one conversations like that where you ask others to, to tell you what they see. And then, friends, let's ask of God that he would make us a place known for honesty with one another, where nobody tries to hide because nobody needs to, where we're bound by a shared sense everybody's got it, that we are nothing and nowhere on our own. Why would we hide when we all know the truth and when the truth unites us rather than separates us from each other? Only God can create that kind of community. I mean, in one sense, Paul is calling us to something that's supernatural. So so under each of these three things that we're going to look at this morning, starting with this first one, we're called to prayer that God would which would create a culture of authentic Christianity here in our church. So that's the first one. It starts with honesty about weakness. What do you take from 2 Corinthians? I hope you take that. I hope that's the first thing that pops into your head. Weakness is is not something to hide from. It's something to admit and share with one another. Now, here's the second thing. Where does authentic Christianity show up? Well, it, it shows up in communities that are dependent on God's power. This is what makes that first point possible. You can be honest about weakness when you know you're not the only resource you have to rely on. You can afford to be honest about weakness when you're dependent on, Paul, on, on God's power. That's been Paul's point so many times in his own life. He, he's talked so often, most recently maybe in, in chapter 12 that Shaka preached on a few weeks ago, that God is just showing him in his life that it's when he's weak that God's power is most clear and visible and beautiful in his life. God told him, At a time when he longed to be free from something that was holding him back. He doesn't even tell us what it was. There was this time he was desperate to be free of what he called a thorn in his flesh. just constantly nagging at him and hurting him. And he wanted to be free and he asked God to free him. And God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. Power, my power, it's made perfect in your weakness. So you need this thorn in the flesh so that you can know the truth of what I can offer you and then rest in it rather than keep trying to live in your own power. And Paul's been calling this church to embrace that and to share it with one another. Our only hope is what God has to offer us. There is nothing else, nowhere else to look. We want to be known as a community that's dependent on him. That's putting everything on what he's promised. I think this is where Paul's going at the very end of the letter when he goes to this benediction. As one, maybe Probably my favorite benediction in the Bible, some of these summary statements of blessing or or reminders of who God is and what he's done. Paul's in, in verse 14 here is probably my favorite Anywhere in the scriptures, use it often here in our church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But I think I've been guilty, actually, of taking this beautiful benediction and lifting it out of its context and using it, like at the end of our services sometimes here at Trinity, without recognizing that Paul chose this. He built this not out of thin air to be used and dropped in out of thin air, but he, he wrote this as a blessing and a prayer for this community dealing with its issues, the same issues that he's been writing to try to help them recognize and move past. So when he points them to the grace of Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit, when he's asking that those be with them, I think he's pointing us to the power source he's been talking about all through this letter. If they're going to be a place where they can be honest with each other, where authentic Christianity shows up, then they're going to need the grace of the Lord Jesus. They're going to need the love of God. And they're going to need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. They've got no hope any other way. I think this is what he's talking about when he relies on God's power. It's not just some superpower to jump over buildings, right? It's the power of grace for those who need it, of love for those who can't do without it, of fellowship for those who otherwise would be Tearing at one another rather than been joining together. I want to just mention each one of these quickly to show you what I mean. I think this is the power source Paul's been talking about all along, and this is where we'll need to be dependent on him if we become if we're going to be a church that's that's known for authentic Christianity. We need the grace of Jesus. What grace? Paul's talked about it in this letter. Chapter five is one of my favorite sections on this. He died for all. Paul wrote there talking about Jesus that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him. Same chapter, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He is not defined by what he was. The old has passed away once and for all. Same chapter, Paul wrote, in Christ God was reconciling the world himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So who were we before the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Hostile to him, enemies, enemies. Who were we before his grace entered our lives? We were dying. What was our life before him? Old, lifeless, defined by all we done wrong. That's what those images all point to. But that's not how Christ chose to treat us. What chapter five pointed us to is there's no such thing as a person who needs anything less than a complete demolition and rebuild. And sometimes I think, at least subconsciously, we can assume that different people need different things from Jesus, from Jesus. Need a kind of different level of care. Some of us might prefer to think of ourselves just as a, a, a great old house with great old bones that just needs some updates. You know, maybe a new set of countertops or you know better. Uh, better handles on the cabinets or maybe some new appliances that are stainless instead of that old like off-white look from the 70s we think of ourselves as, as houses worth recuperating but the bones are good stable some people of course have real problems really they'd be better off if you just knocked the whole house down and built from the ground up it seems like maybe that's what the corinthians were saying to one another like they wanted to they were always comparing to each other they wanted to be thought of as, as the house that maybe just needed Jesus to put them over the edge and get them ready for the market. They didn't want to be seen as the people who just needed complete demolition and rebuild. And Paul's saying in chapter 5, look, there's only one category person out there. That is a person who is old, dying, hostile, needs to be completely demolished. Everything that they are on their own has got to go away. But in Christ, all things made new. So, if we learn that if we learn that, that all of us stand equally in need of a grace that makes us new, not just renovates us, but rebuilds us from the ground up, the old to pass away and the new to come. If that's what we know we need from him and if that's what his grace gives us, if we live with a sense that his grace is with us, well, then all of a sudden we've got a power source that makes restoration and comfort possible because nobody looks at the flaws of anyone else and says, I can't imagine having that in my life. Not if you get that you had to be completely demolished and rebuilt from scratch. No one gets to be surprised by what's going on in anybody else's life. No one gets to resent it or pull back from it because we are equally desperate for the grace of Jesus and that's the grace that we've been given. We need the love of God. Three points to next. Because when we crave God's love more than the love of other people around us, more than our own love for ourselves, when we crave his love, we can have what we want from life without any threat to it from anybody else. One of the things Paul goes back to over and over again, I won't take the time to give you examples, but all through the sermons on this series, you'll see it. One of the things he goes back over and over again is that they they struggled to have unity in their church because they really wanted to one-up one another. They're constantly measuring themselves against each other. What they cared about was climbing a social ladder. And you can't climb that ladder unless you step on the heads of some other people. Like for you to climb up, you've got to have people below you. Paul's telling them, no, that's just not what Christians do. Grace of Jesus makes that completely... Uh, out of character with what we know is true about ourselves, but the love of God makes that completely unnecessary. Why do you care whether you climb a social ladder and have a life that other people envy? What do you care about their love for you? That's fleeting, it's passing away. It's only yours as long as you keep on earning it. You don't need it because you've got a love that is far more fundamental, far more substantial, that's never-ending and inexhaustible. I will point you to one place where he makes this case. Back in chapter 10, he was talking about these other leaders who were trying to chop him down to size so that they could rise up in the eyes of the people in Corinth. And Paul says, <laughs> you've got to stop measuring yourself against one another because ultimately he says this in verse 18 of chapter 10, it is not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. What matters is God's commendation, God's love for you, his affection and pleasure in you. And friends, when that's what you want most, when you crave the love of God, then you can live in peace with one another because no one is ever going to be a threat to what you want most. You are no threat to me when what I want from life is to know his love. Finally, Paul points us to the fellowship of the Spirit. Another part of this power source that he wants to show up in their life for them to be completely dependent on. What does he mean? Well, he, he doesn't talk much about the Spirit's work in this letter, but he does in plenty of other letters. I think we can, we, can, uh, we can know what he means based on what he says in other places. When he talks about the Spirit's work, where it shows up, he talks about it in community. In Ephesians chapter 4, he, talks, he, he wrote to those friends... To work hard and be eager to maintain what he called the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Where does the spirit show up? Where does his power show itself? In unity. Not a community where people are one up in one another, measuring themselves against each other and trying to win each other's approval. In a community that's joined together because they know that they have what they need and they're, they're for one another. Or think about probably the most famous place that Paul talks about the Spirit in his work is in Galatians chapter six. That's a passage that's known about, known by uh, for the fruit of the Spirit. Paul describing here's the things that the Spirit bears in your life. This will show up. He talks about love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Friends, these are overwhelmingly relational virtues you don't need kindness to live by yourself on a desert island you don't need you don't need self-control there gentleness with anyone else peace is not going to be much of a problem maybe you need inner peace but peace with others is not going to be a problem on that deserted island and love for others where are you going to show that what you need where you need the fruit of the spirit where it shows up is in community where you have to love people who aren't easy to love be patient with people who get on your nerves where you have to be gentle with people who who you, you really want to lash out against where you have to control yourself in your words for example rather than just say what comes into your mind because you're constrained by what's good for them not just by what comes natural to you that's where the fruit of the spirit shows up and that's what paul's pointing them to here for them to have a community where they're all for one another honest about weakness depending on god's power they're going to need the power of god's spirit to give them fellowship with one another. Otherwise, they're going to rip themselves apart. And friends, that's exactly the kind of power we're going to need. The kind of power we want to pray our way towards together in our, in our community. We want to pray that, that the grace of Jesus will be with us so that we see ourselves in light of what he had to do to make us holy. That the love of God be with us, something that we don't just read about, but actually feel that it changes how we see ourselves and how we interact with each other because we depend on it and know that it's always there for us and nothing can change that. A place, a place where the fellowship of the Spirit is obvious to people, where they look at us and they think, why would these people get along with each other so well? Look at all the things that are different. What's binding them? We want to be able to point to the Spirit and say, well, the Spirit is binding us. Otherwise, it makes no sense. And friends, we won't get there. I mean, have of an authentic community as a community that's dependent on god's power we won't get there unless god shows up in power and that means we want to be a community that prays for these things take this take, here, here's a good practical tip a practical way to to respond to this series take that benediction verse 14 and why don't you just try to use it in your prayer life this week each morning when you're driving to work before you go to bed pray for the grace of jesus to be deeply embedded in us in the way that we see ourselves and relate to each other. Pray for the love of God to be what we rest everything on. Pray for the fellowship of the Spirit to protect us from the disunity we'll bring to our church if we're on our own. Because prayer is the only way to get there. Now here's the last thing. The last place that authentic Christianity shows up where does it show up? Well, it shows up in a community that is focused on God's promises. Now, this wasn't this last piece. I would say I think I have to admit is not nearly as central or interwoven with all the things that happen in the letter than the first couple of pieces are. But this last piece was the center of what to me was the most impactful section of the letter. And since I'm the guy doing the recap, this is where we get to end. My favorite section of this letter this time through was chapter, the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. I want to read some of these verses to you. Here's what Paul says there in the, in the, in the middle of this letter. He says, beginning verse 16 of chapter 4, so we do not lose heart. And this is after he talked about a lot of reasons to lose heart, a lot of hard things in his life and that he teaches us to expect in our own lives, but he's saying we, we don't lose heart. Why? Well, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen... Those things are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, not if, but when, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, the one that's passing away, we groan as a guarantee do not lose heart Paul says kind of like here at the end of the letter tells him rejoice why because your life is easy well no actually it isn't Paul's wasn't easy he experienced things that most of us never will and I know your life isn't easy no matter how well things are going in it, I know that you still have people that you love who are nearing the end or maybe have just died. You know that your own body is wasting away just like Paul says that it is. You know that you aren't as strong in your battle against sin as you wish you were and are ready to, be, to have that battle at an end. You know that your life isn't as easy as you wish that it was. problem is that with all their measuring all their fixation this church all their fixation on what's exceptional their craving for distinction to rise above each other to make their mark they, they were never going to be able to handle the truth about life in this world where everything is passing away they were fixated on things you could see what you could see can be compared What can be compared can lead to me on a higher rung in the social status ladder than yours. But Paul's telling them, everything you can see is passing away. I see way too much of myself in those Corinthians. Way too much of my happiness is tied too closely to what I can see. Authentic Christianity, though friends, it shows up in a community of people that help one another look more carefully at what God has promised than at what they can see already. I think many things in this life are possible for us. It is possible that I might accomplish something great, something I'm aiming for, something I'd be proud of. There's many things that that you might accomplish. There's many relationships that you might build. There's many experiences that you might enjoy. There's lots of possibilities in the world of what is seen. But whatever might be possible out there, pulling at our hearts, drawing the gaze of our eyes, whatever might be possible, one thing is certain about everything that's visible. It is passing away. It is transient. It is a vapor. It's not unreal, but it's certainly not lasting. And any meaningful life you can live right now, any meaningful life depends on God's promise of glory then. Lots of things are possible. Could go either way for you. One thing is promised. A weight of glory that even if what's possible for you now doesn't come to pass will not be threatened by what you've experienced now, no matter how hard. The problem is all of us are going to struggle to believe that that's true. Every day at some level and in some seasons it will be impossible for us to believe on our own. Authentic Christianity shows up in communities that help one another stay focused on what God has promised. That aren't afraid to point one another there even when what we see around us in the visible world is devastating. Sometimes friends I think we can shrink back when someone's really hurting. When they're in deep suffering we can shrink back from telling them about glory because we don't want to feel like, we don't want them to feel like we're just trying to get rid of them or we're just trying to slap a Band-Aid on something that, that's bigger than, than, than what we can really deeply address. Sometimes we shrink back from reminding each other that everything that's visible that's filling up our days with stress and sorrow and sin, all of it is passing away. Don't put your gaze there. There's no future in it. You've got to focus on what's coming on what's promised, on the rock-solid accomplishments of Jesus once and for all. Those promises are difficult to see. They will lose out every time to what's very visible in my day today unless I'm part of a community that's cultivating an awareness of what's coming. So how do we respond to this series Think of this letter as one big challenge to the Corinthians' obsession with what's visible. And think of it as a calling on us to lock in on the invisible. To embrace what Paul says in chapter 4. We're looking not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Things that are eternal. This will only be possible if each one of us takes this up as part of our life's purpose together in our community. We're going to need to be willing to have our friends tell us when we're hurting to look to Jesus, to see what's now in light of what's then. We need to be willing to hear that from each other and not dismiss it. And we need to be willing to ask one another to give us this kind of care. One of the best things you can do to help us as a community respond to this letter. And bring the perspective of God's promises into the present. One of the best things you can do, especially, friend, right now, if you are in a season of sorrow, one of the best things you can do is ask your friends to tell you it's true. To read this verse to you and tell you it's true. Don't make them get over their fear of alienating you, their fear of dismissing you. Invite them to tell you to look to what you can't see yet, and to pray together to hold on to it. Authentic Christianity shows up when we are honest about our weakness, nothing to hide. And we're dependent on God's power, we're looking to His grace, His love, His fellowship. And when we're helping each other stay focused on what's to come and view everything else in its light. I want to end the series now by praying together that God will do this work in us. Authentic Christianity is his work, not ours. So we pray to him now to do it. Father, you didn't have to speak to us, but you have, and we are grateful. And we ask you now, by your word, the same word that spoke the world into being, by that word we ask for you to create again in us the perspective that we can't do without but can't give to ourselves. We want to see ourselves and each other in light of your grace and your love and to be bound together by a work of your spirit in us. So we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the spirit would be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen.